Section 16 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839. By Francis Ann Kimball. Section 16. Saturday, March 2. I have made a gain, no doubt, in one respect, in coming here, dear E., for not being afraid of a rearing stallion, I can ride. But on the other hand, my aquatic diversions are all likely, I fear, to be much curtailed. Well may you, or any other northern abolitionist, consider this a heaven-forsaken region. Why? I cannot even get worms to fish with, and was solemnly assured by Jack this morning that the whole point, i.e. neighborhood of the house, had been searched in vain for these useful and agreeable animals. I must take to some more sportsman-like species of bait. But in my total ignorance of even the kind of fish that inhabit these waters, it is difficult for me to adapt my temptations to their taste. Yesterday evening I had a visit that made me very sorrowful if anything connected with these poor people can be called more especially sorrowful than their whole condition. But Mr. Blank's declaration that he will receive no more statements of grievances or petitions for redress through me makes me as desirous now of shunning the vain appeals of these unfortunates as I used to be of receiving and listening to them. The imploring cry, Oh, Mrs., that greets me whichever way I turn, makes me long to stop my ears now for what can I say or do any more for them? The poor little favors, the rice, the sugar, the flannel, that they beg for with such eagerness and receive with such exuberant gratitude, I can, it is true, supply. And words and looks of pity and counsel of patience and such instruction in womanly habits of decency and cleanliness as may enable them to better in some degree their own hard lot. But to the entreaty, Oh, missus, you speak to massa for us. Oh, missus, you beg massa for us. Oh, missus, you tell massa for we. He sure do as you say. I cannot now answer as formerly. And I turn away choking and with eyes full of tears from the poor creatures, not even daring to promise any more the faithful transmission of their prayers. The women who visited me yesterday evening were all in the family way and came to entreat of me to have the sentence, what else can I call it, modified, which condemns them to resume their labor of hoeing in the fields three weeks after their confinement. They knew, of course, that I cannot interfere with their appointed labor, and therefore their sole entreaty was that I would use my influence with Mr. Blank to obtain for them a month's respite from labor in the field after childbearing their principal spokeswoman, a woman with a bright sweet face called Mary, and a very sweet voice, which is by no means an uncommon excellence among them, appealed to my own experience, and while she spoke of my babies and my carefully tended, delicately nursed, and tenderly watched confinement and convalescence, and implored me to have a kind of labor given to them less exhausting during the month after their confinement, I held the table before me so hard in order not to cry that I think my fingers ought to have left a mark on it. At length I told them that Mr. Blank had forbidden me to bring him any more complaints from them, 
for that he thought the ease with which i received and believed their stories only tended to make them discontented and that therefore i feared i could not promise to take their petitions to him but that he would be coming down to the point soon and that they had better come then some time when i was with him and say what they had just been saying to me and with this and various small bounties i was forced with a heavy heart to dismiss them and when they were gone with many exclamations of oh yes missus you will you will speak to massa for we god bless you missus we sure you will i had my cry out for them for myself for us all these women had had large families and all of them had lost half their children and several of them had lost more how do i ponder upon the strange fate which has brought me here from so far away from surroundings so curiously different how my own people in that blessed england of my birth would marvel if they could suddenly have a vision of me as i sit here and how sorry some of them would be for me i am helped to bear all that is so very painful to me here by my constant enjoyment of the strange wild scenery in the midst of which i live and which my resumption of my equestrian habits gives me almost daily opportunity of observing i rode to-day to some new cleared and ploughed ground that was being prepared for the precious cotton crop i crossed a salt marsh upon a raised causeway that was perfectly alive with land-crabs whose desperately active endeavours to avoid my horse's hoofs were so ludicrous that i literally laughed alone and aloud at them the sides of this road across the swamp were covered with a thick and close embroidery of creeping moss or rather lichens of the most vivid green and red the latter made my horse's path look as if it was edged with an exquisite pattern of coral it was like a thing in a fairy tale and delighted me extremely i suppose e one secret of my being able to suffer as acutely as i do without being made either ill or absolutely miserable is the childish excitability of my temperament and the sort of ecstasy which any beautiful thing gives me no day almost no hour passes without some enjoyment of the sort this coral bordered road gave me which not only charms my senses completely at the time but returns again and again before my memory, delighting my fancy and stimulating my imagination. I sometimes despise myself for what seems to me an inconceivable rapidity of emotion that almost makes me doubt whether anyone who feels so many things can really be said to feel anything. But I generally recover from this perplexity by remembering whither invariably every impression of beauty leads my thoughts and console myself for my contemptible facility of impression by the reflection that it is upon the whole a merciful system of compensation by which my whole nature tortured as it was last night can be absorbed this morning in a perfectly pleasurable contemplation of the capers of crabs and the colour of mosses as if nothing else existed in creation one thing however i think is equally certain and that is that i need never expect much sympathy and perhaps this special endowment will make me to some degree independent of it but i have no doubt that to follow me through half a day with any species of lively participation in my feelings would be a severe breathless moral calisthenic to most of my friends what shakespeare calls sweating labour as far as i have hitherto had opportunities of observing 
children and maniacs are the only creatures who would be capable of sufficiently rapid transitions of thought and feeling to keep pace with me and so i rode through the crabs and the coral there is one thing however i beg to commend to your serious consideration as a trainer of youth and that is the expediency of cultivating in all the young minds you educate an equal love of the good the beautiful and the absurd not an easy task for the latter is apt in its development to interfere a little with the two others doing this you command all the resources of existence the love of the good and beautiful of course you are prepared to cultivate that goes without saying as the french say the love of the ludicrous will not appear to you as important and yet you will be wrong to undervalue it in the first place i might tell you that it was almost like cherishing the love of one's fellow-creatures at which no doubt you shake your head reprovingly but leaving aside the enormous provision for the exercise of this natural faculty which we offer to each other why should crabs scuttle from under my horse's feet in such a way as to make me laugh again every time i think of it if there is not an inherent property in laughter as the only emotion which certain objects challenge an emotion wholesome for the soul and body of man after all why are we contrived to laugh at all if laughter is not essentially befitting and beneficial and most people's lives are too lead-coloured to afford to lose one sparkle on them even the smallest twinkle of light gathered from a flash of nonsense hereafter point out for the appreciative study of your pupils all that is absurd in themselves others and the universe in general tis an element largely provided of course to meet a corresponding and grateful capacity for its enjoyment after my crab and coral causeway i came to the most exquisite thickets of evergreen shrubbery you can imagine if i wanted to paint paradise i would copy this undergrowth passing through which i went on to the settlement at st annie's traversing another swamp on another raised causeway the thickets through which i next rode were perfectly draped with the beautiful wild jasmine of these woods of all the parasitical plants i ever saw i do think it is the most exquisite in form and color and its perfume is like the most delicate heliotrope i stopped for some time before a thicket of glittering evergreens over which hung in every direction streaming garlands of these fragrant golden cups fit for oberon's banqueting service these beautiful shrubberies were resounding with the songs of mocking-birds i sat there on my horse in a sort of dream of enchantment looking listening and inhaling the delicious atmosphere of those flowers and suddenly my eyes opened as if i had been asleep on some bright red bunches of spring leaves on one of the winter-stripped trees and i as suddenly thought of the cold northern skies and earth where the winter was still inflexibly tyrannizing over you all and in spite of the loveliness of all that was present and the harshness of all that i seemed to see at that moment no first tokens of the spring's return were ever more welcome to me than those bright leaves that reminded me how soon i should leave this scene of material beauty and moral degradation where the beauty itself is of an appropriate character to the human existence it surrounds above all loveliness brightness and fragrance but below it gives one a sort of melusina feeling of horror all swamp and poisonous stagnation which the heat will presently make alive with venomous reptiles i rode on and the next object that attracted my attention 
was a very startling and by no means agreeable one an enormous cypress tree which had been burnt stood charred and blackened and leaning towards the road so as to threaten a speedy fall across it and on one of the limbs of this great charcoal giant hung a dead rattlesnake if i tell you that it looked to me at least six feet long you will say you only wonder i did not say twelve it was a hideous-looking creature and some negroes i met soon after told me they had found it in the swamp and hung it dead on the burning tree certainly the two together made a dreadful trophy and a curious contrast to the lovely bowers of bloom i had just been contemplating with such delight this settlement at st annie's is the remotest on the whole plantation and i found there the wretchedest huts and most miserably squalid filthy and forlorn creatures i had yet seen here certainly the condition of the slaves on this estate is infinitely more neglected and deplorable than that on the rice plantation perhaps it may be that the extremely unhealthy nature of the rice cultivation makes it absolutely necessary that the physical condition of the laborers should be maintained at its best to enable them to abide it and yet it seems to me that even the process of soaking the rice can hardly create a more dangerous miasma than the poor creatures must inhale who live in the midst of these sweltering swamps half sea half river slime perhaps it has something to do with the fact that the climate on st simon's is generally considered peculiarly mild and favorable and so less protection of clothes and shelter is thought necessary here for the poor residents perhaps too it may be because the cotton crop is now i believe hardly as valuable as the rice crop and the plantation here which was once the chief source of its owner's wealth is becoming a secondary one and so not worth so much care or expense in repairing and constructing negro huts and feeding and clothing the slaves more pitiable objects than some of those i saw at the st annie's settlement to-day i hope never to see there was an old crone called hannah a sister as well as i could understand what she said of old house molly whose face and figure seamed with wrinkles and bowed and twisted with age and infirmity really hardly retained the semblance of those of a human creature and as she crawled to me almost half her naked body was exposed through the miserable tatters that she held on with one hand while the other eagerly clutched my hand and her poor blear eyes wandered all over me as if she was bewildered by the strange aspect of any human being but those whose sight was familiar to her one or two forlorn creatures like herself too old or too infirm to be compelled to work and the half-starved and more than half-naked children apparently left here under their charge were the only inmates i found in these wretched hovels i came home without stopping to look at anything for i had no heart any longer for what had so charmed me on my way to this place galloping along the road after leaving the marshes i scared an ox who was feeding leisurely and to my great dismay saw the foolish beast betake himself with lumbering speed into the bush the slaves will have to hunt after him and perhaps will discover more rattlesnakes six or twelve feet long after reaching home i went to the house of the overseer to see his wife a tidy decent kind-hearted little woman who seems to me to do her duty by the poor people she lives among as well as her limited intelligence and still more limited freedom allow the house her husband lives in is the former residence of major blank which was the great mansion of the estate it is now in a most ruinous and tottering condition 
and they inhabit but a few rooms in it. The others are gradually mouldering to pieces, and the whole edifice will, I should think, hardly stand long enough to be carried away by the river, which, in its yearly inroads on the bank on which it stands, has already approached within a perilous proximity to the old dilapidated planter's palace. Old Molly, of whom I have often before spoken to you, who lived here in the days of the prosperity and grandeur of Hampton, still clings to the relics of her old master's former magnificence, and with a pride worthy of old Caleb of Ravenswood, showed me through the dismantled decaying rooms and over the remains of the dairy, displaying a capacious fish-box, or well, where, in the good old days, the master's supply was kept in fresh salt-water till required for table. Her prideful lamentations over the departure of all this quondam glory were ludicrous and pathetic. But while listening with some amusement to the jumble of grotesque descriptions through which her impression of the immeasurable grandeur and nobility of the house she served was the predominant feature, I could not help contrasting the present state of the estate with that which she described, and wondering why it should have become, as it undoubtedly must have done, so infinitely less productive a property than in the old major's time. Before closing this letter, I have a mind to transcribe to you the entries for today recorded in a sort of day-book, where I put down very succinctly the number of people who visit me, their petitions and ailments, and also such special particulars concerning them as seem to me worth recording. You will see how miserable the physical condition of many of these poor creatures is and their physical condition, it is insisted by those who uphold this evil system, is the only part of it which is prosperous, happy, and compares well with that of northern laborers. Judge from the details I now send you, and never forget, while reading them, that the people on this plantation are well off, and consider themselves well off, in comparison with the slaves on some of the neighboring estates. Fanny has had six children, all dead but one, she came to beg to have her work in the field lightened. Nanny has had three children. Two of them are dead. She came to implore that the rule of sending them into the field three weeks after their confinement might be altered. Lee, Caesar's wife, has had six children. Three are dead. Sophie, Lewis's wife, came to beg for some old linen. She is suffering fearfully, has had ten children, five of them are dead. The principal favor she asked was a piece of meat, which I gave her. Sally, Scipio's wife, has had two miscarriages and three children born, one of whom is dead. She came complaining of incessant pain and weakness in her back. This woman was a mulatto daughter of a slave called Sophie, by a white man of the name of Walker, who visited the plantation. Charlotte, Renty's wife, had had two miscarriages, and was with child again. She was almost crippled with rheumatism, and showed me a pair of poor, swollen knees that made my heart ache. I have promised her a pair of flannel trousers, which I must forthwith set about making. Sarah, Stephen's wife. This woman's case and history were, alike, deplorable. She had had four miscarriages, had brought seven children into the world, five of whom were dead and was again with child. She complained of dreadful pains in the back, and an internal tumor which swells with the exertion of working in the fields. Probably, I think, she is ruptured. 
she told me she had once been mad and ran into the woods where she contrived to elude discovery for some time but was at last tracked and brought back when she was tied up by the arms and heavy logs fastened to her feet and was severely flogged after this she contrived to escape again and lived for some time skulking in the woods and she supposes mad for when she was taken again she was entirely naked she subsequently recovered from this derangement and seems now just like all the other poor creatures who come to me for help and pity i suppose her constant childbearing and hard labor in the fields at the same time may have produced the temporary insanity suki bush's wife only came to pay her respects she had had four miscarriages had brought eleven children into the world five of whom are dead molly quambo's wife also only came to see me hers was the best account i have yet received she had had nine children and six of them were still alive this is only the entry for to-day in my diary of the people's complaints and visits can you conceive a more wretched picture than that which it exhibits of the conditions under which these women live their cases are in no respect singular and though they come with pitiful entreaties that i will help them with some alleviation of their pressing physical distresses it seems to me marvellous with what desperate patience i write it advisedly patience of utter despair they endure their sorrow-laden existence even the poor wretch who told that miserable story of insanity and lonely hiding in the swamps and scourging when she was found and of her renewed madness and flight did so in a sort of low plaintive monotonous murmur of misery as if such sufferings were all in the day's work i ask these questions about their children because i think the number they bear as compared with the number they rear a fair gauge of the effect of the system on their own health and that of their offspring there was hardly one of these women as you will see by the details i have noted of their ailments who might not have been a candidate for a bed in a hospital and they had come to me after working all day in the fields end of section sixteen recording by james k white chula vista